What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Jets Radio. This is your host, Tyson Roush, and I have my good friend Joe from Long Beach on the line. Joe, how you doing, man? Yes, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I'm ready to, let, I'm ready to talk Jets. How you doing? I'm doing great, man. There's a lot to talk about. And tonight we have a very special guest on the line joining us. It's Joel Corey. Joel Corey is a former sports agent who helped found Premier Sports and Entertainment, which was a sports management firm that represented professional athletes and coaches. And Joel's also an expert when it comes to salary cap and NFL contracts. He writes for National Football Post and CBS Sports. He's an absolute must-follow on Twitter. It's at Corey Joel. It's C-O-R-R-Y. J O E L, and it, you can't get you cannot get a more informative follow on Twitter even his writings. I mean, if it comes down to contracts or salary cap, this guy is the guy. So we'll bring him on now, Joel. This is Tyson and Joe. How you doing tonight, man? I'm doing pretty good. How you doing, guys? Oh, we're, we're doing excellent, man. Thank you so we're much for your great. time tonight. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll get right started, Joel. And the biggest change with the Jets right now is you know the Jets went from last year with John Idzik, who was fairly conservative, took some calculated risks that backfired, to Mike McHagnon, who has an extensive scouting background. What's your take on the change for the Jets, just in the front office changes? Well, the first thing which is good about the change is you have Todd Bowles, the head coach, and McHagnon on the same page. There seemed to be some disconnect between Itzik and Rex Ryan last year, and that's no way for an organization to run. What really should have happened is Itzik should have been allowed to hire his own head coach when he was brought in, or Rex Ryan should have been allowed to hire a GM to do what he wanted to do instead of the setup they had. So at least now you've got continuity, and hopefully you won't see the hoarding of cap space you saw with John Itzik and the team spends money, which actually they're going to have to do, because there's an 89% spending requirement um, between 2013 and 2016, that four-year period. Right now, the Jets have spent 84.5% of the cap over the past two years in cash, so they're actually behind the minimum spending threshold. So how much would they have to spend, in theory, of their cap space this year? Is there a, so like The reports are they're going to have, say, like $47 million this year. How much approximately that would they have to spend? Well, uh, that's about right, right on $46, 47000000 million, depending upon what tenders they make to restricted free agents. They don't necessarily have to spend a set amount this year, but between 2013 and 2016, that four-year period, 
they have to spend 89% of the cap over those four years in cash. Okay. I guess and and I guess the biggest punk, chunk of that this year could be Percy Harvin, which seems to be topic number one for the Jets. Is you know, Percy Harvin, if the Jets keep them, they give up a fourth round pick. If they release him by the date by I think it's March nineteenth, it's a sixth round pick. And the biggest number everybody talks about is his ten point five million dollar salary for this year, which isn't guaranteed. What's your take on the Harvin situation with the Jets? Well, there are two really two different schools of thoughts on that. Since they have the spending deficit. They really could use a $10.5 million salary on the books, even though it would be overpaying Percy Harvin because he's not worth $10.5 million for next year or his $41.5 million over the next four years, which left on his contract. Really, he should take about a $4 million pay cut so his salary is in line with the remaining average salary of Eric Decker's deal. He doesn't want to take a pay cut, but his best bet in terms of getting a deal might be playing ball with the Jets, considering he's burned bridges in two places now, Minnesota and Seattle. Okay, Mr. Corey. Uh, my name is Joanna. Again, I want to thank you for uh, coming on the show. My first question is, how would you handle the Muhammad Wilkerson deal? And uh, could you explain to us the process for a contract negotiation, you know, from an agent standpoint with that deal? Well, the Jets have already dropped the ball with that one because he should have been extended already. What the uh, dragging their feet with him has done is it's cost the Jets a chance to get him in the Calais-Campbell neighborhood, which is about $11 million per year and $31 million in guarantees. Typically, the team is the one who's going to initiate the contract discussions. Since Wilkerson's in his option year, the final year of his uh, contract at $6.969 million, uh, you would think he would be a top priority. Given that the marketplace has changed for uh, very good defensive linemen, I can't see him wanting to sign for anything less than Gerald McCoy's $13.5 million per year. He may not get the same guarantees of McCoy, at, which is at $51.5 million, but I could see Wilkerson not looking for anything less than that neighborhood. Now, Corey, uh, Joel, what would you do in a situation with Damon Harrison, who's a restricted free agent? I mean, he, he burst on the scene, and now in many aspects, when you read a lot of these articles – Everybody's calling him, you know, he's very underrated, he's a very promising player, he's young, he's great next to Sheldon Richardson. How would you handle Damon Harris in terms of his, uh, negotiating a contract, and what would you offer him? Well, I'd give him a second-round tender, which is going to be a little over $2.3 uh, million this year. It all depends on where the uh, cap ultimately comes in, so you don't have a sense of urgency to do anything with him. And the reason I say second-round tender is he was an undrafted free agent. If you gave him the low tender, which would only give you a right of first refusal, and that's going to be a little over $1.5 million, then someone could make a uh, run at him in a restricted free agency. The second-round pick would assure uh, the Jets that he's not going anywhere because it's very rare. You had one guy last year switch off on an offer sheet, Andrew Hawkins, that doesn't really happen that much. I know the Jets did a sign-and-trade a couple of years ago to get Chris Ivory, but restricted free agency is basically dead. Uh, one thing you could keep an eye on, um, since 
the team has an abundance of cap room. If they're not, if the new regime isn't sold on Harrison, then there's a defense, there's a nose tackle from Arizona who's pretty good, can plug the run. Dan Williams, that is a, that will be an unrestricted free agent. Maybe Todd Bowles gets them to make a run at him. That is if he's not sold on Harrison. Okay. With that said, uh, David Harris is a is a linebacker that we have that is he's aging, um, and he's going to be free agent this year as well. I'm wondering what exactly what price would you bring him back at if you were to bring him back, or would you just let him walk into free agency? Well, he's definitely not making nine million dollars per year on a go four basis. <laughs> we know that. We know that much. <laughs> no, uh, he's not someone who you absolutely have to have anymore. Uh, he's a guy you let test the market. Hopefully he gives you a right to match. And you bring him back on what the market dictates where he would come in. I uh, wouldn't be surprised if uh, Rex Ryan tries to make a run at him um, as well, considering um, he, he uh, played well for Rex now that Rex is in Buffalo. We're talking to Joel Corey, uh, a former sports agent and an absolute expert on the NFL contracts and salary uh, salary cap. Joel, my question for you is regarding running backs. Right now, you know, there's a lot of rumors about the Jets maybe pursuing a CJ Spiller. They, you know, they have their pro- my opinion, they're probably going to release Chris Johnson. What is your take on running backs in general, in terms of paying them? I mean, obviously, Demarco Murray is going to command a huge salary, but. Are you a proponent of paying a top dollar for a running back? Or are you more into drafting them, keeping young guys, and kind of having like a, a rotation of running backs? I'll put it this way. If I had a son who was going to sign a scholarship to play Division One football and I thought he had pro potential and he played two ways in high school, running back and safety, I'd tell him to be a safety in college because of the way running backs have been devalued. Um, I'm a proponent of you can find a running back anywhere. Alfred Morris was a six-round pick. Trent Richardson was a third pick in the draft, and he's he's worthless. (laughs) So I really wouldn't invest huge money in a running back. In particular, I'd probably stay away from C.J. Spiller unless it was a – incentive-laden contract because the guy can't stay healthy. Don't forget that the plan was to make him a feature back in 2013. He got hurt. That didn't pan out. Then he was hurt last year as well. He kind of reminds me, he's got that kind of a Darren McFadden going for him that if he could ever stay healthy and put it all together, you could have something great. But don't hold your breath waiting for it to happen. Yeah, that's an excellent point. And I guess you already mentioned his name earlier. It's with Chris Ivory. You know, he's entering to his last year of contract. And you know, for the Jets, you know, Jet fans love his his physical nature. He stayed relatively healthy. He's been productive. Maybe in Chan Gailey's system, he may get more space to run in, which would be interesting to see. Would you, as a agent, try to get him locked up to an extension with the Jets? And if you're the Jets, would you consider that? Well, as the agent. Um, I don't know what I'd do right now just because the offensive coordinator change is an unknown variable. You don't know how he's going to perform in that offense. I'd be willing to, I'd be willing to take the wait-and-see approach, even though if you can get money as a running back, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush, given how the position has been devalued. And also, from the Jets' standpoint, I'm not sure I'm extending anybody uh, as a running back right now until I see how they perform in the offense. 
Yes, with that said, uh, we have a quarterback in Geno Smith that assigned to Rock Nation. We've seen an emergence of Rock Nation as they become kind of the forefront, uh, you know, in, in player management. What does Rock Nation provide other athletes that other agencies may not? Well, up until today, it had been a partnership with a creative artist agency where CAA did the contracts and Rock Nation handled everything else. The two-year partnership ended. Um, they've hired um, someone that Jets fans are probably familiar with as an in-house agent, Ari Nissim, who handled contracts uh, under Mike Tannenbaum. So he should be very cap- <clears throat> capable of doing contracts in-house as opposed to having to farm those out. One thing that Rock Nation can do or should be able to do that other agents can't is open doors in the entertainment industry because athletes want to be musicians, actors, and actors and musicians gravitate towards athletes. Uh, Rock Nation is being very selective in terms of their clientele, but from an endorsement and marketing standpoint, that's where they can really uh, distinguish themselves, and their presence in the industry is making a lot of established agents very nervous. Okay, Mr. Corey, with that said, does that hurt the player's stock at all because some teams may believe that he's not or that the player or the athlete isn't simply interested in the game and just learning the game from the standpoint of becoming better for the team? No, I take it you mean coming out of the draft more so than anything else. Exactly. Uh, but but not not necessarily. You, you'd have to be in a situation like Myron Roll, where you have some other viable option where you may be perceived as being too smart for your own good since he was a Rhodes Scholar and is now actually in medical school because his NFL career didn't uh, pan out. Draft-eligible draft players get coached in the interview process anyway, so no one's going to be stupid enough to say the wrong thing, hopefully, about all their other focused off, uh, outside of the field, uh, outside of the football field. Now, I don't think having Rock Nation represent a player is going to have any impediment in terms of getting a player drafted. Joe, we already mentioned Geno Smith, and as you know, <laughs> with the Jets, it seems like the quarterback carousel is never ending. And a name that keeps getting brought up on our show is Sam Bradford. You know, uh, you know, the St. Louis Rams have said they want to try to restructure with Sam Bradford. He's got to, he's do a huge salary this year. What is your take on Sam Bradford from a contract perspective? Do you think the Rams will be able to get a deal done with him? And if he does become a free agent, what kind of deal would you offer him? Well, one variable in the whole Sam Bradford equation is they may have an interest in Nick Foles, and if they can work out some sort of trade to get Nick Foles, there's no way Sam Bradford is going to restructure his contract to compete for a guy that they just traded for that is going into a contract year and they may want to extend. So in that case, he's going to force their hand with either a trade or a release. Most likely – it's going to be a release because most teams would expect him to be released. And when you have a situation like that, unless you really want a player badly and are afraid of other competition, then you just let him hit the open market. If Sam Bradford hits the open market, even though he's barely played in the last two years, I think maybe seven games, he automatically catapults to the top of this very weak free agent quarterback class because the cream of the crop right now is a guy Jets fans are familiar with, 
Don't Mark say Sanchez. it. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan Hoyer, who was just dreadful from the, after that uh, Thursday night game against uh, Cincinnati, and Ryan Mallett. So there wouldn't be a shortage of suitors looking to sign Sam Bradford. What Bradford would want to do is sign a one-year deal someplace where he could he stays healthy and lives up to that number one pick potential, could put himself in a position to sign a really lucrative contract in 2016. On a one-year deal, you saw Kyle Orton, who came out of retirement, make $6 million in 2014 after he signed with Buffalo. So it would really be that type of market, five, six million on a one-year deal with incentives, which could take it potentially up to ten million, depending upon what he did on the field and with playtime. Uh, that would really be what I would expect Sam Bradford to sign someplace. That's an interesting take on that offer in the one-year deal. That's that's definitely interesting. Now, you you mentioned Hoyer, and you know, like right now with Jet fans, we're trying to find. Some guy, some a veteran that can compete with Geno Smith, probably like a, a stopgap option. Not really, like you said, it's a, it's a weak class. Ryan Mallett is a person that you know he's got a big arm, but then he has, he's got no game tape. What kind of deal would you offer him? Would it be kind of an incentive-related contract, like a like a two or three-year deal? Or if you're the Jets, how would you handle like a Ryan Mallett negotiation? Well, the first thing you're going to have getting a quarterback to come in is they're going they're going to want to know. Is it an open competition, or is it like last year where it appears to be open but is actually closed? The thing which could bring some comfort level to the quarterbacks that might want to come to the Jets is McCagnan didn't draft Geno Smith, so he has nothing invested in his success. But that would be the first thing you'd want to know, which is do I have a fair shot of winning this job? And then any guy who comes in thinking they have a fair shot of winning this job is going to want to do a one-year deal. He's not going to want to lock himself up for any longer than that because if you play well, you either set yourself up for a nice payday from the Jets or somebody else. Mallett would be the guy who'd be closer to wanting to do a two-year deal, but I'd advise the one-year deal if I represented him just because if you come in and play well, then you could be writing your own ticket. Yes, on the flip side of the ball, our cornerback, our secondary situation is just absolutely in shambles. Uh, with that said, one of the guys that we're targeting supposedly is Antonio Cromartie. I'm wondering how much do you think it would actually take to bring Cromartie back to the Jets? And, you know, where in the realms do you think that he's worth? Well, if you believe Patrick Peterson, who's trying to get him to stay in Arizona, all he talks about is coming back to New York. So knowing that, I would see if he's willing to take a hometown discount just to come back. Uh, he made $4 million last year on his one-year deal um, in Arizona. I'd try to do a longer-term deal. He's 31, so maybe two, three years, and try to get him to sign for nothing more than $15 million over the three years. But you definitely do need, need a cornerback. That was one thing which, uh, for some reason, John Itzik inexplicably didn't address. Yeah, I know if you're going to go high-end, the name which immediately comes to mind is trying to bring Darrell Revis back. Uh, I guarantee you 
if he ever signed with the Jets, and it would cost a pretty penny. The top of that market, cornerback market, is $14 million a year, basically $45 million in guarantees. The uh, Patriots would would have a cow over that. They've already filed tampering charges against the comments Woody Johnson made in that press conference right after the end of the regular season. So you, you could see a major problem going there. But you could also have competition from Buffalo because uh, – wouldn't be surprised if Rex made a run at him. That's provided that the New England Patriots don't exercise the option for the 2015 year that Revis has, which would pay him $20 million and have a $25 million cap number, which you would think they're not going to exercise. And they can't franchise him or transition tag him because that's a part of the uh, stipulations in the contract. Another guy to keep your eye on that, will be 27 in April. Mike McCagnan knows him, is Kareem Jackson. Uh, he could find himself getting some pretty significant action uh, in the market. That's the former Houston Texans cornerback. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised to see if he ended up with a deal in that higher echelon free agent market last year, which ranged from $8 million to slightly under $10 million per year. Okay. Switching spots in our secondary, I wanted to talk to you about the safety position. There's a lot of guys out there, Devin McCourty, Raheem Brock. I'm wondering, what do you think about those guys, especially Devin McCourty, as far as value and what it would take to bring them in as well? Well, if Devin McCourty gets out of New England, which may or may not happen, he's he's a candidate for their franchise tag, and that safety number is going to be right around $9.5 million if you have the cap at about 100. And $42 million, uh, you could have competition from Jacksonville that actually has more cap room than the Jets because they have – they're scheduled to have about $65 million in cap room. So between the teams that could have an interest in him and he's a Pro Bowl, all-pro caliber safe, free safety, you're looking at a minimum $8 million per year, $20 million in guarantees. It wouldn't surprise me. If there's enough interest in him, that it's over nine million a year and over twenty-five million in guarantees. Wow, there's some serious money getting thrown around there, Joe. We're talking to Joe Corey, who is an NFL contract expert, a salary cap expert. You can read his writings on the National Football Post as well as CBSSports.com. Joe, my question goes back to the receivers for for just a little bit. We, we mentioned Harvin, and you know a lot of people think we're hoping that he would restructure and take the pay cut that you mentioned. There's a lot of big names out there that most of us think that are going to be franchised. You get Demarius Thomas, Des Bryant. What do you think about a player like Randall Cobb? Because the Green Bay Packers, they, they seem to have they're loaded at the wide receiver position. Do you think he becomes a free agent? And what kind of money do you think he would command? I don't think they franchise him. Uh, I know that's a guy Aaron Rodgers really likes, and he said he had 100 catch potential a couple of years ago. He, he didn't quite get there this year. And Cobb wants to stay. That's his, that's his priority, staying put. The problem there is he's constrained by Jordy Nelson's deal. Jordy Nelson got a contract extension right when training camp opened, I believe, which averages slightly under $10 million per year. Now, considering that Demarius Thomas, Des Bryant aren't going anywhere, they're signing long-term deals with their own clubs or their franchise, they're not on the market. That leaves Jeremy Macklin, who wants to stay put in Philadelphia, that could have a suitor in Andy Reid from Kansas City as well as another option. 
he may he could be franchised in Philadelphia. You never know how Chip Kelly feels about receivers after letting uh, Deshaun Johnson go to Washington last year. Could be a case where he thinks the system makes the player as opposed to the player uh, makes the system go. That could be an option. But with Cobb, one thing you have to be aware of is basically 90% of his routes have come in the slot over the past three years. And slot receivers don't make as much money as outside receivers. Taking Percy Harvin's deal from Seattle, which averaged almost $13 million a year in new money out of the equation, the next highest paid slot receiver is Victor Cruz, which was basically $46 million over six years that he got as a restricted free agent, where the value of the unrestricted years, that's the five years above his restricted free agent tender, averaged $8.6 million a year. So I could see something like that being uh, where Randall Cobb ends up. Yeah, it's interesting to see how all these contracts are negotiated and the values you have on on, on the players. Because, say for example, a, a guy like Brian Arakbo, you know, he had ten sacks in 2013, but 2012 and 2014 he missed significant time. Like, how do you how do you like arrange a contract offer for a player like that? Like, you know, when he's healthy, he can have some serious value, but he doesn't stay healthy. So, what kind of like how do you negotiate a contract for a player like that? Maybe the injury was a blessing in disguise for Aragpo this year because he wasn't playing well before he had his third pec tear of his career. And pec tears aren't supposed to be career-threatening. That's the type of injury Mario Williams had, which ended his last year in Houston, and it didn't stop him from becoming the highest-played defensive player in football with a $16 million per year deal, $53 million the first three years, and $50 million guaranteed. Given that it's not shouldn't be a career threatening injury, then you may want to put some per game roster bonuses into the deal to try to protect yourself where he has to be on the forty six man roster for each particular game to get a certain amount of money. That's something that San Francisco and Green Bay do more than anybody else. New England's starting to do that as well. Cause I'll use Colin Kaepernick's deal as an example. Starting in this upcoming season, 2015, Kaepernick has $2 million of per-game roster bonuses annually in his contract. So what that means is every game he's not on the 46-man active roster, he loses out $125,000. So if he has a season-ending injury, which cost him, he only plays eight games, he's out a million dollars. So maybe that's one type of concept you build, you build into a contract for someone like Brian Arakpo. Yes, it's always see, interesting to see the free agency field change. I'm wondering if there are any kind of big-name guys that could become cap casualties uh, in this year's free agency. Well, the two guys that the uh, – Jets might want to keep an eye on that could be cap casualties that have a history with the head coach and the GM. One is Larry Fitzgerald in Arizona. He's got a $23.6 million cap number. His salary for the year is, I believe, $16.25 million. $8 million is a fifth day of the league year roster bonus. That's payable on March 14th. So if they can't work out some sort of arrangement to lower his cap number before that date, he hits the open market. 
another guy to keep your eye on, and it could both these guys could affect what happens with Percy Harvin, is Andre Johnson. This is the first time that he really wasn't the most productive receiver when healthy in Houston. DeAndre Hopkins actually had a better year than um, Andre Johnson. His productivity started to climb. Over the past two years, 2012 and 13, this is a guy averaging 110 catches and 1,500 yards during that span. He didn't crack 1,000 yards this year. He's making $11.5 million in 2015, and his cap number is almost $17 million. His uncle said he was open to a pay cut. He uh, distanced himself from his uncle's uh, comments and feigned like, I don't know what he's talking about. So that's another guy <laughs> because uh, the history with uh, McCagnan to keep an eye on in terms of shoring up the receiver position. But now with with the Percy Harvin situation, with with the March 19th uh, deadline, it seems like the Jets have a lot of leverage there. So if you were his agent, would you kind of – you can't force the Jets' hand, but would you try to either get get a new deal done? Or how would you handle that situation? Because it seems like the Jets could – they could go out and shop for guys and say, okay, we got a deal in place. Say Fitzgerald gets cut. We got a deal in place for Fitzgerald. Now you're going to get cut in the 18th. How would you handle that from, like, Percy Harvin's side? Well, the first thing I'm doing is when I would go to the combine next week, because I'm assuming I would have as an as his agent that he's got clients who are going to be draft eligible, and if not, he's going to the NFLPA annual seminar up there. I'm meeting with various clubs and engaging in the process of illegal tampering, which always takes place up there between agents and teams, get the lay of the land of what the market could be, if I'm released, and that will be my guide into how I play the situation. If I can't find a team that's willing to pay me something I like, then I'm going to be more receptive where I'm going to tell Percy, this is what I see is out there. You need to seriously think about this pay cut because you really don't want to go out in the market knowing there's not much interest in in you. If I get indications that there are a couple teams that are willing to – make a significant run at me, then I'm playing hardball. And I'm like, look, I'm, it's $10.5 million or, or you do what you have to do. <laughs> so it's really the information that I would gather prior to the start of the new league year, which would dictate how I would play the situation. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting. I think this this will probably be Mike McCagney's first big test, I think, along with getting Mo Wilkerson uh, done as well. Uh, the last question I have for you is, we've been kind of high on, on Anton Smith, uh, the running back from Atlanta, just as you know, like a, a young guy that hasn't got a lot of reps but is super explosive. As an agent, would you what kind of deal would you try to get for him? You know, he has the, the limited game tape he has is, is dynamic, but then he got hurt last year. Would you try, would you look for like a two or three year deal with him, or how would you try to market him? Which a guy that's not doesn't seem like he's on a lot of radars. Yeah, well, the one thing which is going to limit his ability to get a contract is that injury because you don't want to go into free agency as damaged goods. And also, he's not really as young as you think because he's going to be 30 in early, yep. the early part of the regular season. But he's kind of like Fred Jackson, and he doesn't have mileage on him. He was very explosive and was the most productive back Atlanta had when he was healthy. But considering he hasn't really made significant money, I would try to 
signed something maybe for a two-year period, which gave him some incentives and upside if he got on the field and was able to got an opportunity to do stuff that he hasn't been allowed to try to do before. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that happens. And we'll just wrap it up with, you know, the last I – mean, which position do you think, you know, in this free agency period – is going to command the most money? Is it going to be like a pass rusher like Jason Worlds if he's not tagged, or is it DeMarco Murray? Like, which, What do you think is going to be the splash signing this year? Well, it's always going to be a pass rusher when you have him available, and one to keep your eye on is Jason Pierre-Paul from, from the Giants. The Giants typically don't franchise anyone, and that franchise tag number for him is going to be $14.7 million um, approximately. Uh, he had an uneven year. He was great against the run early on and was mediocre rushing the passer. He came on like gangbusters, and you can say it was against weaker tackles in December. He had 33 quarterback pressures in December. To put that in some sort of context, Justin Houston had 36 quarterback pressures in December. And then the elephant in the room is going to be Greg Hardy, uh, seems like he bought off uh, his alleged victim because she was unavailable uh, for the for the case that was dismissed against him. And supposedly there's been a, a settlement with the civil, civil suit. He's going to be the litmus test for how domestic violence is viewed around the league. And I tend to think that a player that is very productive in his prime at a premium position, which he is a pass rusher, is going to get the benefit of the doubt from a lot of teams. There are going to be some teams that pass on him from a character standpoint or because of the incident and the baggage. Because don't forget, in North Carolina, he was found guilty by a bench trial but was able to appeal to a jury trial. So he still could be subject to some sort of discipline by the league under the personal conduct policy. And then the other thing that you have to keep in mind is that the NFL doesn't view being on the exempt commissioner permission list as discipline because you're paid your full salary, even though you're missing games. So who knows how long a discipline would be for him, whether it would be under the old conduct policy because the incident predated the new regulations for domestic violence, but the fact that he wasn't convicted is going to give teams less of a concern about him, at least some of them. There are going to be some teams that are just going to totally pass on him because of that, but I wouldn't be surprised if he still does pretty good in free agency. Do you th- do you think? And I'm sorry, this is my last question. Do you think the Jets would, you know, with a first-time general manager and a first-time head coach, they're going to maybe try to go with the high character, like you know, the captains, the leaders kind of guys when they approach free agency, and maybe avoid guys like Hardy? Or how do you, you know, as a as a you know, almost a relatively new leadership team, how would, do you think that's the approach they would take? Well, don't get that directive from Woody Johnson. Whether he 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 may tell them, look. <laughs> guys of extreme baggage, I don't want you to, to pursue them. Or if he doesn't give me a direction, then it's kind of left to their discretion. Um, I've always kind of thought that if they're allowed to go after uh, character guy, uh, guys of baggage, then keep your eye on Daryl Washington. Uh, yeah. 
He was suspended yep. all of 2014 for um, under the substance abuse policy. He has that domestic incident, so there could be another suspension. But if Arizona decides he's more trouble than he's worth, maybe that's a guy Todd Bowles wants to give a uh, give a lifeline to. So that's one of the things that's really going to be a directive from, uh, I think, Woody Johnson more than anyone else. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. It's an exciting time for Jets Nation. Last year we went through all these high expectations and no money was spent, so hopefully we bring in some new talent and we can get this team turned around. Joel, on behalf of Joe and myself, I want to thank you so much for your time tonight. You dropped a tremendous amount of knowledge on us, and you know everybody that follows our show, they love you know following you and all the information you provide us, so we can't thank you enough, man. Thanks for having me, guys. Have a great night, Joel. Thank you. All right, you too. Thanks. All right, everybody, that was Joel Corey. Uh, on Twitter is Corey Joel, C-O-R-R-Y-J-O-E-L, and he's a must-follow. I mean, Joe, he shared so much knowledge with us, and it's such detailed information in terms of the player's talent, the approach you take, the salary commands. I mean, you couldn't ask for more information right there. Yeah, very, very knowledgeable guy, especially when he was talking about the safeties, uh, Devin McCourty, Raheem Brock, and how much money would get thrown around if we went – outside and tried to find one of those guys. Very knowledgeable guy. Yeah, and it's interesting, too. I think I mean, there's a lot of things to take out of that. You know, the phone lines are open, 929-477-2651. We'll begin Kyle on next. But, you know, the interesting things were about guys like, you know, Ryan Mallett and Sam Bradford, how he's saying, you know, you, you take that one-year deal, like the almost like the show-me deal. Like, you know what, I'll play this year for $4 million for one year. Cause if I show my thing, I'm going to want $10 million next year. I found that very interesting how we discussed the quarterbacks. Yeah, and I think that would be a smart deal on, on our, our part as well, especially with a guy like Sam Bradford, who's known for being injury prone. Uh, you take given that one year deal, you see if he can stay healthy or whatever happens with him, and if he shows improved, then you can move forward with that. And same thing with Ryan Mallett, a guy that you want to see, you know, improve. And can he improve in your system? Can he improve and you know get hit receivers when they're necessarily open? So. I think that was a very smart and detailed explanation by him. Yeah, and the other thing, too, was, you know, the whole Percy Harvin situation. I mean, we both have mm-hmm. our takes on that. But, you know, he, as he mentioned, you know, you, you add a Larry Fitzgerald and an Andre Johnson to the pool. I mean, these are tall, big receivers, great route runners. I mean, you know, you add them to the mix, and they say, hey, listen, we can get these guys signed. Say, just throw numbers in the air, you know, five years $35 million or something like that, which is less than what Percy's making. I mean, it makes the negotiation so much more interesting that, you know what, and, and the cool thing is the Jets have all the leverage. Yeah, and, and that's something I think we need to necessarily get him to lower his cap number. Everyone knows I don't think he's worth $10 million, but if we can get some type of leverage, then that would definitely benefit us because uh, right now it, it just it doesn't look too good because we don't have any leverage with him. Oh yeah, I mean, you know, we have. I mean, we have leverage. We have nine days to. We have free agency starts on the tenth. We have to the nineteenth to make a decision. So he actually he has nine days to sit around and wait to see what we're going to do. So you know, like we have all the leverage. It's just a matter of you know, if he says no, then we can't sign anybody else. Then we're going to be then we're going to be kicking some rocks. And you know, and you asked a phenomenal question about Mo Wilkerson, and he gave us a great answer. The Jets screwed the pooch with that one. I mean, they did. I mean, you know, we all knew he was going to get resigned. He's not going to go anywhere because that would be a complete catastrophe. And now we're done. Now we're done chasing him because now it's like he knows what his market is. The market's higher than it was, and now we, we're going to show him the money when we could have probably saved some. 
Yeah, exactly. And that's what I'm scared of is that we didn't get the deal done early when we should have, and now it's like we've got to pay that man. And like I said before, he shouldn't be allowed to leave the building. If we got to lock him in, lock him in. But you don't let him get out of here until he signs that contract for, you know, almost whatever you got to get him for because he is that type of top, you know, talent. Yeah, and it's true. And, and he brought up an interesting point on Damon Harrison, too. Like, we we all praise Damon Harrison for his improvement, his work ethic, his ability. But it's also true. He's a restricted free agent. And it's like, what if Todd Bowles evaluates him and says, you know what, I do want to bring in my own guy. I mean, you mentioned Dan Williams. He, you know, he mentioned, you know, it's like, hey, Todd Bowles, hey, listen, a second-round tender. If somebody wants him, come get him. I want to bring in my own guy. And me personally, Joe, I never even thought about that option. I thought kind of like Harrison, you know, even with a, a potential system change or maybe a, a different type of off defense, he'd still be here. But that kind of opened my eyes a little bit with that with that comment. Yeah, and, and I was totally I, – I had some thinking along the same lines, but I kind of thought about Leger Duzable uh, in, that, in that kind of role where, he, you know, Todd might say, hey, I just want to bring in my own guys and – it's the same way with, like, Ellis as well. I, I might want to bring in my own guys to depth uh, because I saw Harrison improve so much. But, I mean, honestly, just like uh, Mr. Corey said, you can do the same exact thing with Harrison. If, if you know, Todd comes in and he just feels like Harrison isn't necessarily the, the, the defender that he wants, then he can bring in his own guy and, hey, you know, like you said, second-round tenure, if you want it, you can have him. Yeah, it's interesting, man. There, there's so many moving pieces now. And with that being said, we'll bring on our first caller tonight, and this is our good friend Kyle from Long Island. Kyle, this is Joe and Tyson. Let's talk Jets. How you doing, man? Hey, good. How are you? Doing great, man. What's up? Uh, nothing, really. I, I like all the information that uh, Joe gave us and some interesting points that maybe I didn't even think of. Yeah, that's the great thing about him, man. We, we've had him on a couple times, and you can't find a more knowledgeable guy. He knows the ins and outs of the NFL, and he knows both sides of the of the, of the, the contract negotiation. He knows from the agent perspective because he was one, and he knows the business side from the team side. So it's like he can give you a good perspective on both things, which is really, really interesting. Yeah, that's great. It's uh, good to have someone that can, like, tell us kind of, like, what's going on. Well, obviously, he's not going to know, like, what the Jets are thinking, but he kind of can give us an idea of, like, how much to offer everyone. Yeah, and and the one thing, too, is, you know, we talked about this last week a little bit, is there's a lot of unknowns. Like, McHagan's never negotiated a contract before. McHagan's never dealt with free agency by himself before. So there's a lot. I mean, Joe, don't you think there's a lot of unknowns? We're assuming right now we're giving credit for having a great scouting background, but we don't know how aggressive he's going to be. We don't know how he's going to handle agents. We don't know how he's going to handle intense negotiations when other teams are trying to compete for a player. So, Joe, there's, I mean, we're, we kind of have blind faith at this point, but there's a lot of unknowns with McHagan. Exactly. Um, and, and how he deals with free agents, again, it's going to be, you know, uh, what's going to happen with his legacy here. How he gets Muhammad Wilkerson re-signed is definitely going to be big, uh, not just winning the fans over, but how, you know, he goes forward with his franchise as well. Um, like you said, it's a lot of unknowns. I'm hoping, you know, he has some guys in there, the cap guys as well, and also a guy that can help him kind of, you know, figure out and manipulate the, uh, you know, the contract situations and, you know, figure out what exactly they want to do moving forward with free agents as well, just kind of helping him along. Because he was, like we said, he's got a huge scouting background. Uh, but, you know, the free agent stuff is kind of new to him. So we'll we'll see how that works. Um, kind of wondering, how how do you feel about our quarterback situation and uh, what Joel said about our, you know, possibly bringing in Sam Bradford 
or, or Ryan Mallett and giving them one year deal? Um, I I like the idea personally, especially if Sam Bradford can be available because, like you guys said earlier to him, uh, Ryan Mallett, uh, he's supposed to be a good prospect. A lot of people thought he could fill the shoes of Brady if he retired earlier. But he only had, what, one and a half games on film, so you can't really tell much off of that. I'm sure McCagney knows more because he was on the Texans last year, but I'm definitely intrigued by Bradford but uh, on a one-year deal because I feel like he'd be a top 15 quarterback if healthy, especially on a one-year deal because they're being sentenced and stuff. Okay. And what, what do you, do you think about what do you think about yeah what do you think about a guy like Ryan Fitzpatrick? I mean that's a guy that he's under contract with the Houston's, but you know based on what they with the Houston's with the Texans that you know he could be a, a a guy that gets released. Would you consider a guy like Fitzpatrick over Ryan Mount or or like where would he where would you put him in the mix? Um, I don't know. I mean Fitzpatrick has always been a jack killer, but. Uh, I don't know if I would exactly want him. I think I might take Mallet over him, considering that Fitzpatrick's probably going to stay until training camp's over at least, because it looks like they're going to have a three- or four-way battle, and then if he loses, it'll probably be cut. So by then, okay. I think we have our quarterbacks in place. Okay, with that said, how do you feel about the way he uh, addressed the Percy situation? Do you think that... Uh, we would have more leverage if there were more receivers out there? And do you think we would be able to get a receiver possibly signed or really be able to have some leverage to make Piercy believe that we could get some receivers signed in, in those nine days? Well, I think it all depends on those cap casualties, to be honest, because if you think about it, Dez, Demarius, probably Macklin, Randall Cobb, they're all staying, so... The fifth, oh, the fifth best in free agency would have to be Torrey Smith, and he's nothing to write home about. I mean, he has his good games, but he's just an average receiver in my book. And you have some other average guys like Nate Washington, who's I think he's actually pretty good. He's quick and stuff. But if you can get like a Larry Fitzgerald or Vincent Jackson who get cut and you can work out a contract with them, then we have all the leverage and Percy can't really do anything, either restructure or get cut. You know, Kyle, I, I gotta be honest with you. You have me laughing, dude. When you call, when you call a guy like Tory Smith average, you know what average is, dude? Average and less than average is what we've been watching for the last three or four years. So when you call Tory Smith average, I'm absolutely friggin' hysterical, dude. <laughs> All right, well, maybe not average, but I, I don't know. I've never been a big fan of him. Mm-hmm. But I mean, obviously, I take him better than what we have, but. If we're, I'll take like, that I'd average any day, I'd, man. I'd rather Larry Fitzgerald, to be honest, because he, he can work with like Curly and stuff, and you have two two polished uh, route runners on the outside with Decker and Fitzgerald, and then Curly in the slot, and maybe pick up a guy like Philip Dorsett in the draft, who I really like. You know, the, th- the thing is, like guys like Fitzgerald and, and Andre Johnson, you love their size, their the respective veterans, and it, they'd be a huge asset in the red zone, which is a good thing, and it could free up Curly. Then you, it's like you can make an argument for them, but then if you want the youth, if you want the youth, the speed, the dynamic player, the the returner, the running back out of the backfield kind of guy, that's Percy Harvin. So it's like it's 
It's so mm-hmm. interesting to see what happens. And then it's like, it's also, you know, Mike McCagney is a guy, he's got ties to Andre Johnson. He's been around the facility with them. He's seen his work ethic, his leadership, what he brings to the table. So it's going to be very, very interesting to see how this plays out. So, Kyle, you got any more questions for us? What else are you bringing to the table? Um, uh, just one more thing on the quarterback situation. Um, obviously, I've said this from, like, week two, I think, of the season. Well, no, probably, like, week five when they started losing. I've always wanted Mariota and still do, but I'm starting to realize that it's kind of unrealistic. I don't think he'll fall. And if he does fall at six and he's still there, I mean, I don't think it would be the worst thing if we give the Eagles a call and offer that pick for Foles and a couple other picks. And if they say yes, you take it. If not, I say you take Mariota. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. that's Joe. That's all you meant. Get Joe. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know what? I, I I wouldn't have necessarily have a problem with that. Um, as I said before, I think we should move down in the draft and we should get O linemen. I, I don't care if if it's the Eagles or not the Eagles. If someone's willing to mortgage and give us a bunch of draft picks to save up for this year and also next year's draft, and they're willing to let us trade down within reason if we can stay, you know, higher than maybe fifteenth or something like that. And we can we can build up, then I'd have no problem with that. I'm not the biggest fan of Nick Foles now. <laughs> I can tell you that right now. I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of Nick Foles, but that would definitely be a step in the right direction. So, so I can I can agree with you on that standpoint. Yeah, without a doubt. Because even if we can trade down, maybe we we address the quarterback situation if we agency like a Bradford or something, and then we can end up take and then if there's no receivers available, we can take an Amari Cooper or Kevin White. Something along those lines. Yeah, my, my yeah, thing I mean, about I, that is... Go ahead, Tyson. No, it's all you, man. Go. Fire. Okay. My, my thing about that is, and like I've said before, I don't think we need another receiver. I don't think we have to address our receiver position. I really don't. Uh, I think what we have here, what we have here works, and it could be extremely good. Um, if you want another receiver, like I said, figure out how to use Jay Samaru. And that will be... he. Would, if Jay's was to produce this season... The, more than he produced last season, if we were to put him on the field more, get him more plays and have him understand the offense more, I'm telling you, it would extend our offense like crazy. He's such a matchup nightmare, but unless you use him correctly and put him uh, in the passing game correctly, then you're going to see you're going to see him stutter and stumble. Um, but with him, I'm telling you, we move forward, our offense could be deadly. Yeah, without a doubt. I saw when they drafted him, I was, I was just thinking maybe half a Gronk and we'd be good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Kyle. Well, thanks once again. Thanks for calling, man. We always appreciate you. Always bring us some good knowledge to the table. So, you know, it's an exciting time, man. And you know, day by day, we're finding out more information about the Jets' plan. So, it's going to be real interesting, dude. Yep. All right. Talk to you Have a good night, man. Yeah. Now, Joe, you know, you mentioned Jason Morrow, which which I agree with you. And you know, Rich Semini put out an article today about the Jets' tight end position, and you know, slowly but surely, there's you know, there's other free agents becoming available, say a Jordan Cameron from Cleveland, things like that. What is your take on signing another tight end and moving on from Jeff Cumberland? I mean, Jeff Cumberland, you know, every year, I mean, Christian Dyer writes an article about how Jeff Cumberland's, you know, he looks great in practice, and this is the year he, he explodes and comes out, and then eight weeks in, we all hate him, he's dropping passes, and we want to cut him. So do you keep him around for one more year? He's relatively cheap. Or you do, do you consider bringing another guy like you know Jordan Cameron or, or somebody like that? 
Yeah, this is where the rubber meets the road for this guy. I mean, like you said, every single year he's supposed to be this amazing, you know, he's looking good in practice and he comes out he's dropping passes. I think if you can get Jordan Cameron here on a deal, then I would bring him in. Jordan Cameron is an extremely good tight end as well. Uh, out there because he can catch balls, uh, he can block pretty well as well, and he's a playmaker. But that would, I, I think, stuff like that would hinder Jason unless we're going big, um, you know, and we're and we're running the ball, not just running ball, but we also run plays out of big as well. Then that would be fine too if we can put them both on the field at the same time. But uh, yeah, I, I think if you can get something better than Jeff Cumberland, you can upgrade at the position. Uh, but it wouldn't hurt Jace's growth then I would definitely look into free agency and possibly getting rid of Jeff Cumberland. What about you? See, like, I'm, I, I appreciate what you're saying about Jace's growth and his development, but if I'm putting a guy next to him, and I'll give you some names. I mean, I, I'm a, I, I like Charles Clay. I know he had a knee injury, but I like Charles yeah. Clay from Miami. I like Gresham from Cincinnati. I, there's, there's some talented guys out there, man, that it's like, you know what? If, if you're going to tell me about competition, to bring competition in. Jordan Cameron's another guy, athletic tight end. If you know, it's like there's there's injury concerns and helpers. I understand that, but so say yeah. you have three you have three good receivers, and then you could bring in two great tight ends or very good tight ends that are receiving threats. I mean, look at look at the Patriots when they had Gronk and Hernandez. I mean, when you're looking for matchup matchup problems, mismatches, things like that. I'm not opposed to going at another tight end and spending some money on it. We had the money to spend, and you're upgrading the position overall. You know, I mean, obviously you need to be a blocker. You need to have a blocking tight end. We don't want a Matthew Mulligan or nobody like that. But you understand what I'm saying, though? It's like I don't think bringing another tight, another quality tight end is a bad idea. Well, this is this is my thing when I say hurting his growth is because he was used incorrectly, and we still saw potential in him. So I wouldn't want to have this kid sitting around on the bench, you know, just because we bring – because to me, legitimately, Jordan Cameron is probably the only tight end that possibly is going to be a free agent or is a free agent that we could bring in that I think would, would do us some good. Because uh, Clay and Gresham have huge injury history, especially especially Clay. Gresham disappears at times during the game as well. But, uh, you know, I, I just want to see what we get out of Jace first before we, you know, go bring in a guy that possibly, you know, could, could push him, not just push him, push him out, but just could take up plays from him and, and not give him a chance to really flourish on his own and, and, and be used correctly. And I, we're going. We're going through. Listen, everybody. I, we're going yeah. through our Twitter account. I, I appreciate the Zudfeld mentions, but I mean, or Zudfeld mentions. I mean, oh, please. No. I mean, we ha, have we learned nothing. I like to. While I appreciate <laughs> young unknown talent, I like to bring in talent as well. And if you know, it's just. But you know, it, it's interesting though. You know, Joe. It's like we talk about all these things to all these players, and we mentioned mm-hmm. this last week too. Is there's so many unknowns on the rosters. There's so many unknowns mm-hmm. with, you know, you have, you know, Dakota Dozier, you have IK, you have Trevor Riley, you know, our secondary, McDougal, complete unknown. You know, you don't, mm-hmm. I mean, you hope you know what you have with Antonio Allen. You don't know what you have in Rontez Miles. There's so many, there's so many unknowns. And right now he's got so much, so many tough decisions to make just about saying, okay, these are my guys. These are what I think they could bring to the table. Now I want to address this part of the roster. I mean, that's, that's a really, really tough spot for him. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I mean, I don't think there's really too much of an unknown about our secondary. I think it needs to be upgraded point bank, period. Um, you mentioned McDougal. McDougal's a guy, I mean, you could say he's unknown, but I, like I said in the past, I, I just honestly believe he is never going to be healthy in this league. I really don't because he's never been healthy in college. 
Um, I, I think this is going to weigh on McCaskill. I think this is, again, where it shows where he's a VP of scouting. He knows personnel. This is where the draft is going to come in because he's going to have to, you know, evaluate talent, not just on the draft side, but also evaluate the players or whatever takes that he's seen on them and kind of say, hey, this is a guy that's going to fit the scheme and this is a guy that isn't going to fit the scheme. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's like he's got to – I mean, I honestly think we're going to see some surprising moves within the next, I'd mm-hmm. say, couple of weeks where he's going to make decisions like people that we kind of have faith in, like, you know what, I'm moving on. You know, it's like he's got to put his imprint on this team, which he's going to do, and I think mm-hmm. some things are going to shock us. You know, and the other guy, like D. Milner. What the hell is D. Milner? We have no idea. I mean, he showed some flashes, but then he got hurt. Then he showed flashes, then he got hurt, and then he got burned. So it's just like, you know, you gotta you gotta evaluate him and assess him and give him some kind of ranking and then say, what else is out there? And do you keep him or do you cut ties? I mean, he's really, really got a you know a, a tough move to make. The next thing I want to talk to you about is, and this guy we kind of talked about last week was Mike Glennon. Mm-hmm. And there's early reports that you know it would take a fourth round pick to get him, maybe possibly at the starting point or something like that. You know, obviously if we keep Percy Harvin, we don't even have a fourth round pick to offer. But is that something you even consider, I mean, if over a guy like a Ryan Mallett? I mean, assuming Sam Bradford is not available, or we don't want to – I mean, mm-hmm. let's say he's not available. Is, is Glennon a guy that you would consider over a Ryan Mallett, or do you just say, I'm not trading a draft pick, I want to go a free agent route for my quarterback? Exactly. I would just go the free agent route because there's no way in the world I'm going to give up a fourth-round pick for Mike Glennon. He does not – I've watched him out there. I watched him when he was in Tampa. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> no, I'm not giving up a draft pick for Mike Lennon. I'd rather just go the free agency route um, or, you know, maybe even draft a guy and uh, see see how, you know, the quarterback competition works out here with the guys we already have here or the guys we have left. But there's no way in the world I'm going to I'm gonna trade a draft pick for Mike Lennon. What do you think? Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat, too. Like, if, I, if I'm going to get a, another quarterback in here, unless I'm really sold on him, I think the only guy I would consider maybe trading for is Nick Foles. I mean, I, I, let me say, I would trade for Nick Foles if I had a chance to do so. But okay. that's probably the only guy I wouldn't trade. I mean, that's just saying if I was, you know, I'm forced to do it with a with a dried-up market, I wouldn't trade for Glennon. <laughs> we have limited picks, and, and I'd like to keep those picks and, and take mm-hmm. a chance on a Hoyer or – uh, you know, a mallet or, or a guy like that. But it's, again, man, there's so many weird decisions. You know, it's just you're, you're, you're dealing with either an unknown in mallet or a guy like Hoyer where you've seen things, you've seen good and you've seen very bad. You know, it's just, you got to, yeah. we, we gave, we gave McCagan so much credit, but he's got so many tough decisions to make. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's that's why I wouldn't trade for Glenn either because you could take that pick and bolster another portion of your roster. Because as, as we spoke about in the past, this field, is not really, it's not going to wow you. <laughs> These guys are not going to wow you. So you might as well just, we could take that fourth rounder and draft a lineman in the fourth round that could be a starter. Uh, we've, done it before, we, we've done it before. We've seen other people do it before as well. You can find linemen deep in the draft there. So uh, like like we both agreed upon, I, de- I definitely wouldn't trade for Mike Glennon. Yeah, you know, and then like, you know, people are asking us about like, how much money would you pay Fitzgerald and, and, and things like that. And that's, that's a good question. I mean, he he's made a he's made a ton of money in his history of his, you know, his mm-hmm. contracts. I mean, he you know my thing is if I'm Fitzgerald, I want to go to a winner. You know, I'm thinking mm-hmm. a guy like that if he's coming to the Jets, he's coming for the paycheck, not for the potential of winning. So, I mean, don't, I mean, me personally, if if right if you're the Jets, you're probably have to overpay for a guy like Fitzgerald. If a team like the Patriots or the Cowboys or somebody else like that calls comes calling. 
And that's exactly why when we first started talking about Harvin at the beginning of this show and you said, well, we have the leverage and we don't have I, – I still don't believe that even if those guys are out there, we, don't, we still don't have the leverage because, like you said, and like I was going to make a point to say, Andre Johnson, Larry Fitzgerald, these guys are, you know, in their career, they're, they're almost out of their primes or past their primes. They want, to go, they want to go to a winner. Those guys are going to be Hall of Fame guys. They want that reign. They, they want to go somewhere that's proven, we're a proven quarterback, and, you know, and win finally and, and get, get in the playoffs and get further enough in the playoffs to win a Super Bowl. And we're not that team right now. We don't have a quarterback. Um, if you tell any receiver, hey, guess what, Geno Smith might be the guy that's throwing to you next year, they're going to look the other way. And so that's where I think that even if you unless – you, unless you show Pearson, listen, this guy is signed. This guy is here. Either you lower your cap number, we're going to cut you. I still don't believe that he's going to go. Okay, I'll give up ten point five million. I don't believe it. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a fair point. I mean, it's it's a very interesting situation. And you know, and here's my question for you, Joe. And I have a very strong opinion on this, so I'm going to ask you first. You know, everybody's yeah. now saying it's like, okay, keep Harvin. And then add a Fitzgerald and an Andre Johnson. So you have, like, say, Ugh. you know, Harvin, Fitzgerald, Curley, and Decker. Before I go on my rant, what's <laughs> your thoughts, man? My thought is no, no, and no. <laughs> I've said this so many times. That is just too much money to spend on, on the wide receiver position. Just way too much. Uh, learn how to use the tools that we already have, and you'll see that we fix the problem. We just paid Curly, even though he disappeared last year in uh, in Marty's system or offensive system that he has. We know that he's a productive receiver. Decker is a productive guy. He's a, he's a number two. Uh, you know, Harvin, whether he's here or not, depending on whether he slips, but let's just say he's here. So we already know he's here. The guy, again, that we need to figure out what to do with and how to use correctly, Jason Morrow. That's, to me, that's four wide receivers right there. We don't need to spend any more money on that position, and that, and that's just that. No, and I agree. I mean, like you know, that's and I understand. I understand you want to surround your your quarterback with weapons, but your weapons mm-hmm. should include the tight ends and the running backs, a pass catching running back, a good tight end, mm-hmm. three good receivers. Then you have your team, and that applies to every position. I mean, you know, we you know this past week I had a couple conversations on Twitter about you know adding the Dominican Sue, and I'm like, why? Like you don't if you have an area of strength, you don't spend fifteen million dollars a year to add another area. Like it just makes no sense. Mm-hmm. Take the money and address areas that are are you know just completely empty of talent or with unknowns, and that's the offensive line, the secondary, and the linebackers. I mean, it, to me, it's just you can only allocate so much money to each position. And listen, we're not saying be frugal with your money. We're saying spend it, but spend it in areas where you're going to significantly upgrade the talent. Now the, the next question I have for you, and this is a, this is a question we actually got in our email inbox. Where, you know, with if you have questions, man, always email us or tweet us, and we'll answer them as the show goes on. Is you know, in terms of a quarterback, people are saying, well, if you draft a quarterback, then you don't need a veteran quarterback. And, and my take, Joe, and I'll, I'll send it to you, is I want both. Listen, Geno's going to be here. I understand that. I, I wouldn't cut him. I keep him. But I'm also, if you want to draft a quarterback in the second, third round or wherever you draft one, I'm fine with that. And I'm still going to sign a mallet or I'm still going to try to bring a a, a Hoyer or whatever else. I'm, the, I'm bringing it all. I want as much competition as possible. And, the, you know, the thing and the reason why I say that is if you draft a rookie quarterback in the later rounds, he's not going to be ready. 
you know, you're not, you know, if Geno falters, I don't want this kid thrown to the wolves, and I don't want to go three and thirteen with a miserable, pathetic offense. I want a guy of Geno that, you know, a guy like Hoyer or whoever it is that could possibly beat him out. And if Geno does struggle, he does play and he can win games for us. So, what's your take on that? Is it, you know, if we draft somebody, you know, are you looking to bring in a veteran and draft somebody, one or the other, or what's your take on that? Yeah, I have a take, and for my my thing, it goes in three phases. And my thing is, yeah, if you want to draft somebody, you can draft somebody, but I would still bring in a veteran. This is why. Number one, he's going to be a competitor. He's going to compete with that, with that, you know, that rookie, and he's going to push him. Um, number two, he's going to be a teacher. He can, he's going to teach that rookie what he's doing wrong, what he's doing right, how to be a professional, how to study film, how to do things, how to, you know, what was wrong with his footwork. Why, why is his release point looking the way it is? He needs to get that ball down, you know, not putting too much air under throws. He's going to teach him how to do things. And number three is the off-the-field stuff. Because if you look at where we're at in the draft, we got the 6-6. Say, say we draft Jameis Winston. Everyone knows how I feel about him. I think he's crazy. Okay, fine. So you're teaching him. You're competing. Well, when you're competing with him, you're teaching with him. Now you also have to talk to him about the off-the-field stuff. You teach him how to deal with the public. You teach him how to live his life as a quarterback, you know, in the NFL, how to live his life as an NFL player. You teach him, you know, what to do and how to deal with situations off the field because the off the field stuff is really what's going to impact you on the field. Uh, Derek uh, Derek Brooks had a really good uh, quote on the uh, NFL channel earlier today, and he talked about winning off the field first will help you win on the field. You got to do it from the outside in. And, uh, that, that was huge. So, so that's definitely what I would do. I would definitely still draft the guy, and then I would also get a vet um, in here just to do those things in all three phases and make him a complete player because that stuff does make you an absolute complete player. No, I agree, and that's something actually Joe Corey mentioned too. Just in terms of like competition, it's like you know one of Rex Ryan's biggest things was you know they would talk about competition. When push came to shove, a lot of times it wasn't. I mean, players are playing that clearly weren't being held accountable for anything, and that not just at the quarterback mm-hmm. position, other positions as well. With Kyle Wilson or linebackers are underperforming or whatever it was, they kept throwing him out there. You know, it's it's just if you if you say it, you know, pre, you preach it, back it up. And I agree with you. I think if you bring in a veteran quarterback that can push Gino, if he beats him out, hey, more power to him. That we have a quarterback exactly. that's playing. You know, that's you know, and that's and that's what helps you keep the locker room. I think as well. When you when the locker room, the guys in the field say, hey, listen, this guy's busting his tail, and now he's starting. That's fine. If this guy's lazy, not putting in the time, doing all these things, it's like, hey, why is he still playing? Why, you know, don't tell me about accountability when this guy's on the field and he's not earning it. So. I think that goes a long way, and I gotta. Since we're going to the mailbag, Joe, I I gotta bring up this guy, and I know it's just it's just uh, RG three. It's just, he keeps coming up, and it, we we get tweets about it, and we've got an email about it saying, you know, if he's on his way out, you know, the the whole thing about how he wasn't mentioned in the the season ticket, the season ticket holder letter, and all this stuff. Joe, if RG three becomes available, do you consider him for the New York Jets? Oh my goodness! Um, no, I don't. Um, I think RG three. He has so. I, I, I think a lot of his issues are physical issues more so. Um, yeah, he does make a lot of really bad reads, um, but he has an extensive injury history as well. I mean, he's very, very brittle. Um, that knee still. I don't believe that that knee is still healthy at all. Um, he just he just has so many issues on the field, and then not just the issues on the field, but the issues off the field in the 
locker room, some of the things that's been reported that, you know, how he dealt with, with teammates in the locker room and how the locker room was divided because of him and things like that. I I wouldn't necessarily bring RG3 in. Um, I know that, you know, his talent, he, he, he could be a solid guy as far as talent-wise, but I, I, I would just go elsewhere. What do you think? You know, it, it's funny because RG3 has such the, – the, 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 the opinions on him go from no way, absolutely not, yeah. to – that's a no. That's a no-brainer. Like we'd be crazy not to. It, the opinions are that strong about RG3, where it's like you bring up the injury issue. Well, Sam Bradford had those. You bring up the, you know, was it the system? Was it the way they handled him? Okay, that's fair enough. You can make that argument too. The biggest concern I have about him is leadership and work ethic, and that's what bothers yeah. me. When you read stories about, you know, the locker room kind of turned on a little bit, there were some questions about his work ethic. One day in practice he was punting footballs because he was upset or whatever the hell he was doing. That's the kind of stuff that makes you wonder, like, you want your quarterback to be the first in, last out kind of guy. You want him to be a leader, a film junkie, a football rat. Can that be said about RG3? That, that's my question. If you say, yes, he is, then I'm open to it. If he's not that guy... It's a problem, and, and the other problem too is the hoopla that comes around him. I mean, he he's a, a he's a, just he's an, a media magnet. Everybody's got opinions on him. He's in commercials. He's all these things. So when you bring him here, you're bringing the New York spotlight on him. How's he going to react to that? That's a question. So for me, just all those things, I'd rather I'd prefer Sam Bradford. I prefer somebody else. You know, it's just I respect his talent. I respect what he can do. But the, like you said, the other things, all the intangibles, are somewhat question marks, and for me, that's just a concern. Yeah, it's just it's just far too much for me with him. Even even with the intangible, like like uh, like I said earlier, and we totally agree on. It's just a, there's a question mark there with how he dealt with the media, how he dealt with the locker room, the leadership, and the work ethic. To me, it's the, it's, it's the injury issue too. I mean, the elbow, the knee. Uh, he also had some rib issues, a reported rib issues as well. I mean. It's just some some crazy stuff going on with there, and I just would not like to bring his circuit to to the Jets organization. I, I just I wouldn't want to have anything to do with it. You know, and that's that's another thing that you know I I asked um, Joe Corey about, and I was curious about it is with with the first time front office in place and a first time head coach, what kind of chances do you take in free agency? I mean, are they worried about public perception or are they not? You know, and is Woody Johnson going to make a splash and? We're kind of going amongst the assumption that Woody Johnson learned his lesson and said, you know what, we're not going for these splash signings so they don't make sense. We're not worried about selling tickets. Winning's going to sell tickets. Now, is that true or is it not? You know, a guy like Hardy, you can't dispute his talent. I mean, he's a dynamic player when, when he's just on the field, of course. But do the Jets stray? Do the Jets stray away from guys with a checkered past? I mean, does Mike McCagney put his name behind a guy like that as a first-year GM? I mean, what do you think? I mean, or does he say, you know what? I'm going to go the character route. I'm going to, you know, Woody Johnson says I can get my guys. Well, my guys are all going to be leaders, more, you know, no checkered past, and go that route. I mean, do you? How do you think that plays out? Is it is it a factor as a first-time GM? I think it is a factor as a first-time GM. You want to bring in guys that have high character. Uh, if you look at McCagnon's moves, he brought in a lot of high-character guys. I think it's also what that player got into as well. Um, you know, Hardy, I mean, Corey hit everything on the head with him. <laughs> He's a guy that he might have actually paid, uh, you know, you know, his big mop and, and things going on. I, I don't think McCagnon's going to touch that. 
Um, I think Woody has learned his lesson uh, as well as the Redskin owner has learned his lesson as well. Uh, bringing in guys that have questionable character, I think he goes the high character route and just brings in guys that, you know, like I said, have high character and haven't gotten anything and just want to come in and work hard, have work ethic, and uh, be leaders. Yeah, and that's what I'm hoping for too. I mean, I like you know, like I said, I I don't mind a, a big splash signing, but you know, the the less attention we have, especially in year one, get your feet wet, bring in quality guys, and establish that presence in the locker room where it's going to be a hardworking locker room, a united, you know, a close group mm-hmm. where film study, you know, they're all studying film and things like that. You know, it's when you know when Rex Ryan signed R- Richie Incognito, I just started laughing. I'm like, he didn't learn his lesson. Like, it just that was the perfect example of what you don't want to do as as a first year GM and a first year head coach was. Richie, I think it, for Rex, I understand because he's like he's more established as a head coach. But to me, I just laughed. I'm like, he hasn't learned his lesson. <laughs> yeah, and I also think that here it's, it's gonna that 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 whole you know bringing in high character guys and dealing with high character guys is gonna factor into how they deal with with Harvin. Uh, we all know he yep. has a checker pass of how he's dealt with the locker room. Uh, we know you know there was tons of stories about him beating up teammates and doing all kind of crazy things out there in Seattle. So that might definitely play a factor into, you know, his contract and, and how they deal with him going in free agency as well. Now, what is your – I asked Joel about this, but what is your take on Chris Ivory in terms of extending mm-hmm. him? He's on his last year of his deal, and he signed a modest deal, but he, he's shown mm-hmm. value when he's on the field. He's a mauler. I understand you've got to figure out how he fits in, in this offense – but my opinion is with that kind of talent and that kind of rec- that kind of wrecking ball style, you find carries for him and you find yards for him. That shouldn't be a problem. So do you try to offer him a two-year extension or do you try to get him locked up as you have the cap space to do so? Exactly. You, you literally took the words out of my mouth. I was going to say a two-year extension because, yes, he is a wrecking ball and he can, you know, we've all seen the talent when he's on the field, but that wrecking ball style means that you're, you're getting a lot of contact, which means it's a lot of wear and tear on your body which means anything longer than two years, you know, he may, you know, be that, that older guy that can't make the same moves that he is that he is now. You know, power backs, uh, well, well, he kind of has a mix of speed and power, but mostly he's a power guy. So he's going to just try to run you over. That can wear and tear on your body. Um, like you said, I'm giving him a two-year deal and trying to get him locked up for that, and then we can go, you know, moving forward. As we spoke about in the past as well, you know, running backs are a dime a dozen too. You can find, you know, a guy here and there that's going to get the job done. So, like I said, you get him a two-year deal, and you start planning for the future behind him as well. Yeah, it's like it's little like under the radar moves like that that can pay mm-hmm. dividends down the line. I think Ivory's a guy that we've seen what he brings to the table. There's no secrets there, and I think you know he's you know you can say he signed a modest deal. If you can get something done for him two years, you know whatever three four million a year or something like that, I'd have no problem with it. You know, it's just we talk about you know extending guys and giving money. That's money I think well spent. You know what I mean? If you give a guy like Reed yeah. fifteen million dollars a year for the next four years, you're going to regret those kind of contracts. And I think that's where Tannenbaum got himself in trouble in the past. And hopefully, mm-hmm. you know, it's like you want to get a good deal now, but you want a good deal two years from now as well. You want to kind of have an eye towards the future. So I think it's kind of important. Yeah, and and, and that's I totally agree with everything he said, and I totally agree with everything you said about Chris Ivory. I think, like you said, we give him a two-year modest deal. And we need to start, like we said, allocating our money to, to positions of needs and getting guys locked up uh, in the contract so they're here, so we have some consistency and some continuity in this franchise. 
Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, you get him locked up, you have Amaro under the fold, you have, you know, mm-hmm. you have Decker and, and Curley locked up. I mean, you have pieces, you get your nucleus lined up, and you get, like, Wilkerson, Sheldon lined, you know, like, or you have a, a solid nucleus. So, Joe, do you have any more pressing Jets topics that you want to bring up? Because I have a special guest I want to bring on if if you don't. Yeah, I, I, wanted, I wanted to kind of touch on Anton Smith and just touch on some of the things that he said about Anton. And I wanted to know, did that kind of take the wind out of your sails a little bit about Anton? Because I knew, I knew he had that injury history. Um, I knew he's a little bit older. But just talking about how, you know, he might command a, a smaller bit of a deal and then other things that he was talking about with Anton as far as his explosion being deep, you know, in the backs there. Dude, I'm still I'm still 1,000 percent behind yeah. signing him if he proves he's healthy. Okay. To see the thing with him, and he mentioned like with Fred Jackson, the thing is he's got no miles on his tires. And with, for me, it's the eyeball test. The only thing I know is when I watched him play last year, when that ball was in his hand, he was ridiculously explosive. So if you tell me he's healthy and he can still play, I don't care how old he is because you know you look at just for an example, a guy like Ray Rice has 40 million carries. There's too many miles on his tires for me to commit money to him. You know what I mean? Like, like even DeMarco Murray, you give him, you give him, say, this big splashy contract, the law of averages tell you he's going to break down. Anton Smith has the injury path. I understand that. You're not going to pay him a lot. And what he brings to the table is something we don't have right now. I mean, Ivory is a wrecking ball. But that, I mean, you saw his speed. It's ridiculous. You can't teach that. You can't defend that. So for the limited price tag he has and for a two-year deal, to me, to me, honestly, it's a no-brainer. I mean, did it did it change your notion at all, or no? No, it didn't change my notion at all. <laughs> it's also I kind of I kind of uh, liken it to uh, Justin Forsett. How it took Forsett a little bit to find his place. He's yep. an older back, but he, I, I think he really did find his place with the Ravens this year. And now he's a starter, and they've seen him, you know, rip off runs and have explosion as well. So I, that's what I'm going to like it to. I think I think his place is here with us, and I think once he finds his place. We're going to connect, and he's he's going to be an explosive guy for us. So no, it it didn't put it didn't stop me from wanting him on the team at all. I was just you know wondering how you felt about it. Yeah, no, like that's something like it's, for me, it's all about getting value for the money and and what you can mm-hmm. get him for and what he can bring to the table. I think it's it you're not going to get hurt by signing him. You know, like so just say say you sign him, you're giving him say three million a year or whatever it is, and he goes out and breaks his leg in the training camp. Okay, fine, it didn't work out, but you're not you're not caught spending six million dollars a year and you know and, and Joel brought up a real good point about CJ Spill and his injury pass as well. You know, and that's the kind of guy that's gonna command a significant salary. So for me, I'd rather take a lesser risk and a lesser price tag. You know what I mean? So no, I didn't yeah, I'm dude, I'm a, I'm while you're starting your Antonio Allen campaign, I'm starting my Anton Smith campaign. <laughs> <laughs> I I'm I'm in the campaign with you for Anton. I'm in the campaign with you. Don't leave me behind. I'm here. I'm here. <laughs> so with that being said, are you are you good with our Jets topics? I got a very special guest I want to bring on. Oh yeah, absolutely. Go ahead and bring him on. Well, you know, over the past two years we've been doing this radio show and we started out a bunch of things and um, you know, it we went from Jet Nation radio to here and throughout the whole time our good friend Henry's been for the ride the entire way. Henry Always promotes our account. He does Twitter for us, does everything else. So, Joe, we're going to bring on Henry now, our good friend Henry, too. Tonight is going to be his last night's screening calls for us for a while. So, Henry, this is Joe and Tyson. How you doing, man? Hey, what's up, Tyson? What's going on, Joe? Hey, how's it going, Henry? How you doing, man? <laughs> good, man. Man, <laughs> man, this show, man, I'll tell you what. You guys clash well. I like, I like the way that Joe... 
I like the way that you ask questions, and, and um, I like the way that Tyson transitions from uh, topic to topic. I have a good time listening to you guys talk about our Jets, and I'm just hoping that something happens good for uh, the 2016 season, or 2015-2016 season. Well, Henry, before we even get into that, man, I just want to thank you, man. You do you do a lot for us, and we appreciate it. And I know taking calls and tweeting out the information the best you can, it gets fast and furious, so... <laughs> Just, just for like the last two years, man. I want to thank you for that. And uh, you know, what's your take on what's your take on the Jets right now? What you, you know, Joel mentioned a lot of things about Bradford and Hoyer and all these guys. Who do you want for quarterback? You know, it's gonna sound crazy, but I, I, I like Geno Smith. You know, and people are gonna be like, oh, you know, he had a horrible season. And I think that we need to give this guy a little bit more time. We can't just give up on him. Common sense in, on my end tells me to give him a little bit more time. You know, I totally agree with bringing in somebody to help him, to push him. Uh, I'm not a fan of RG3. But I think we got something with Geno Smith. He's an athletic quarterback, young guy. You know, he's in, he's in his early 20s. Um, but with that, with Percy Harvin, my opinion, I think that Percy Harvin is one of those guys that, yeah, he's going to be expensive, but, man, he's, he's he's a special guy. We need to really think about keeping him. I mean, I don't know what the GM or, or the coach has to do, but, man, we haven't seen that type of talent on the field in a very, very long time. I think that we need to keep this guy on and find any way to keep this guy on the roster, even if it's for the next two years or something. Um, I, I, I'm a fan of Percy Harvey. He, 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 I think he's good for the offense. Okay, and first off, Henry, I want to thank you for everything that you've ever done for the show. Um, you're an awesome guy and an awesome supporter. Um, you know, it's just it's Thanks, just man. been great just working with you as well, man. You just you're a really awesome person. I just want to let you know that. Um, my my question to you, I, I'm wondering, I'm wondering what would you do with our secondary, mainly our safety position? Are you on the Are you on the campaign with me for starting Antonio Allen? Are you looking to go out? and possibly get a free agent. Man, Joe, um, I remember when we first started Jet um we started uh, Jet Nation Radio, and uh, we yeah. switched over, and we lost a lot of our hosts. And one of the things I used to tell Tyson was like, man, that guy, Joe from Long Beach, he needs to get on Twitter, man. He needs to get this guy on Twitter, man. This guy's such an awesome caller. And we came, we came from such a long way back in those days to now – you know, I'm I'm glad you found our show. We're like, man, how do we reach out to this guy so we, he can call our show and we can talk just. <laughs> so, so number one, that's one thing. I'm glad that you found our show. I'm glad that we were able to get you on Twitter. And, uh, but yeah, man, I'm I'm a fan of Antonio Antonio Allen, man. I, I've always been a fan, and you know, he he did a decent job as a cornerback. It's not it wasn't his position to begin with. And uh, I just think he, we need to we can utilize him very well. When he played his role, he covered um, Gronkowski very well when we played against the Patriots. Um, he he is a good player, an athletic player, and we I, I think that if we utilize him well, he, he's an asset that we need to use. We'd be crazy to not put him in a position to where he can succeed. You know, he was athletic enough that where Rex Ryan said, "Hey, let's use this guy as cornerback." You know, let's put this guy in a position where he can prosper this time around, especially with Todd Bowles. Uh, get some more young guys back there where he can prosper. You know, but I am a fan of Antonio Allen. 
Okay, okay. Switching it up, uh, you spoke about cornerbacks. I'm wondering, what do you think about our chase for Antonio Allen? Uh, And and also, what do you think about D. Milner? Do you think he's ever going to be healthy? Do you think he's a guy we could depend on? Man, D. Milner, I've always been a fan of his. Um, I follow his his brother on Twitter. He follows me back, and we're always talking back and forth. His brother is uh, Pat Milner. On there, and he's a, he's he's a great guy as well to follow on on uh, on Twitter. Uh, D. Milliner is an explosive cornerback, so athletic. It, his concern with his his health is so, you know, it's it's so bad. It's like it, it's it's annoying almost, you know. But but if he's healthy, man, that guy can be that guy can be awesome. I, I'm a fan first before I'm anything, like all of us are, you know. So I, I'm a big fan of D. Milliner. Do, do I think that we need to bring some another cornerback in? Yeah, you know who I don't know, but uh, you know our secondary is something that we do have to address. You know, and but but I am a big fan of Dean Miller, man. Man, I I think you just I just fell off the chair when I heard you wax poetic about Dean Milner. But uh, what, Henry, what what's, what's I'm gonna we're gonna we're gonna pepper you, man. You gotta earn your stripes tonight. What's uh what's your take on Revis? Both Joe and I are kind of on the you know like we we're kind of moved on from the whole experience. What's your take on Revis? Man, if you if you follow me on Twitter long enough and you saw my tweets during the Super Bowl, um, during, uh, you, you know how I feel about Revis. You know he's a, he's a good. He's a good player, but man, hey, no love lost, man. You know he—he's a mercenary cornerback. It's a—it's a—it's a business after all. You know, there's there's no loyalties in this business. You know, we're fans. He's a player. I understand that the big picture. So he's gonna be going for the big bucks. He's gonna be going to where it pays him the most. You know, he's not the only cornerback in in the entire NFL or the the, the only cornerback that can play the position. Do I miss him? Yeah, I miss him. He he brought us some great years, but you know I'm done with Revis. Um, he can go somewhere. You know he can stay with the Patriots for all he wants. You know the Patriots. Once Brady retires, it's going to be a different story with them. I mean, you know they they're 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 a good franchise right now. That they got a they got a franchise corner quarterback, and that's what we're aiming for. <laughs> but as far as cornerback, you know Revis, he I wasn't a fan of paying him all that money. Uh, that's one move that Itzik had to make when he was around, let, releasing him. Some fans may not agree with that. You know, releasing probably the best defensive player that we had in a very long time. But you know, for all the money that he wanted, you know, you know, have a nice day. That's that's my thought about it. <laughs> well, today, well, to make sure you quote, we we'll quote you on that one. The, ne- the next question I have for you is, I, I think there's going to be a changing the guard at the linebacker position, and I think. Either I think it's either Babin or Pace are going to be on their way out. I think they could be both, but just assuming that one of them stays, which one would you keep? Um, I think I I think I'd keep I think I keep Pace, um, just because he's been around long the longest. I like Babin though. Babin is, but he, he, he see with Babin he draws a lot of penalties, but I, he's real gritty. You know he's he's like a real tough tough player. You know. Those are the type of guys we need at that position, but I like me personally. I like pace. Okay. With that said, I'm wondering our offensive line, as you know, Henry is it's in trouble. Um, I'm wondering where exactly you would go in the draft. Uh, if you have anyone that you would be looking at in the draft to bring in 
or would you go free agency to fill these needs and holes that we have in our in our offensive line? Man, and, and honestly, with that question, that's a good question. I, I'm not going to sit here and make it seem like I know all these draft guys coming out because I, I watch college football, but um, honestly, I would have to look at it more and and look towards draft Twitter and start watching a little bit more film, uh, draft breakdown and stuff like that to to make a more to make a more um, knowledgeable opinion, man. You know what I'm saying? Before I even give out a name or something like that. But that is a need that the Jets have. I mean, before anything, you need to have protection on the quarterback. And, you know, we have a lot of guys getting old on the line, and those guys will eventually retire or will be replaced. I did <laughs> I did miss, um, what's his name, Austin Howard when he left to, to the Raiders. I, I wanted to keep Austin Howard out there. You know, I, I think they moved him to right guard when he went over to the Raiders. But that was one of my my uh, one of my favorite players on the line because of where okay. he came from. You know, all the stuff that he knew, he did in order to get to where he to to the starting position. <clears throat> okay. And with that said, uh, what do you think about our running back situation? Do you what do you think about Anton Smith bringing him in? Are you against it? Are you for it? I like it, man. Uh, you know, they were saying that uh, that the Jets were were um, were showing a lot of interest in uh, in the draft and indoor set from Miami. <laughs> but um, I'm a big big fan of Chris Ivory. Uh, I think he was underutilized. I think during the Lions game, he took over on the first series. He, he brought the Jets all the way to the red zone. All of a sudden, Marty wanted to to switch it up and throw the ball when we got to the red zone, and we. We pretty much sucked in the in the red zone, but Chris Ivory, mm-hmm. I think that he he's to me in, on the offense, he needs to be brought back. He he needs to be. <laughs> I'm not saying that he's going to be the the, the future uh, running back for the next five ten years, but man, that guy that guy's a baller, man. I like him. You know, it, it, we can definitely use him on the offense. Him and Percy Harvin are are two people I really really like. Him, Percy Harvin, and Eric Decker. Eric, that, those those three guys, in my opinion, and we already locked in uh, Curly. Those those guys right there are like the key players on on offense, in my opinion. Right now, we are talking to our very special guest and a Twitter legend. His name is Henry, and on Twitter, it's nyj underscore Henry. So make sure you follow him on Twitter because this guy this guy's bringing all kinds of knowledge right now. Henry, what is your thoughts on? The Joel Corey talking about Larry Fitzgerald and or Andre Johnson possibly getting cut. Would you pursue a guy like that and maybe consider getting rid of Harvin? Well, let me let me let me take a, a minute and sit with this protein shake and and think about <laughs> <laughs> and think about that. I mean, honestly, I like I've always liked Larry Fitzgerald, but man, it's how old is he? How old is Larry Fitzgerald? Yeah, he's got to he's got to be like thirty two. I guess. Yeah, thirty two. He's, he's got a little bit of miles on him. Out of bo- out of both guys, I think that that Larry Fitzgerald is a bigger possibility just because of Bowles and Bowles is uh, you know, with that connection. But you know, I do like I do like both players, you know. But it just depends on it just depends on how much uh, how much they're willing to spend. We do have a lot of cap space, and we need the help, um, but. I, I would take that. Me being a, 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 um, a general manager or a coach, I would take a little bit of that money and invest it on the line. 
You know, I, that's what I would do. You know, because you can find a couple of guys that can <laughs> that can catch the ball for you. Wide receiver is not our biggest need right now. You know, I think the line is getting a little bit old. Going off of what Joe just asked, the line is getting a little bit old, and I would more invest on the line, if anything else, if I were the GM or the coach, just to protect whoever's back there, whether it's Mariota, uh, Geno Smith, Winston, whoever we're going to draft, whoever's going to be our Sam Bradford, RG3, you name it. I mean, somebody's got to be protected. I think that's a more important position to address than, than wide receiver at this point. You know, it was back in – I mean, you would have talked to me two episodes ago. I would have, Not two, but like a couple episodes ago, I would have been like, man, we need a wide receiver. Now, not so much. You know what I mean? Okay. Now, the next question I have for you is there – you know, we're, we're mentioning a lot of names on this show. And like, you know, it's like this is the best time of year where we all kind of predict. Is there one big splash signing you're hoping the Jets make? Is it a McCourty? Is it a Jason Worlds? Is there one guy that you're like you would campaign for? Honestly, I haven't looked at the free agency list. Um, I would be lying if I if I told you I knew all the names that are up for free agency. I I think even Des Bryant is up for free agency, and the Dallas Cowboys would be crazy to let him go. But uh, and again, wide receiver is not that big of a of an issue right now. If anybody that's willing to, anybody that that can come in and be better on the uh, at the right guard position, left guard position, um, anybody who can beef up the line would be a good signing for me, in my opinion. Any safety positions would also be a good signing for the Jets, and even a cornerback. <laughs> and I wouldn't be opposed to bringing back Cromartie, <laughs> even though I know that you'll disagree, but uh, it'd just be depending on his health, like I, everybody knows. Um, and But his age is up there. So cornerback, safety, or offensive line would be my – not in that order, but those those three positions would be the ones that I would look for to be uh, bringing in. Okay. With that said, there was a – we all know we fired Rex Ryan and, uh, you know, brought in Todd Bowles. I was wondering how you felt about that move. Uh, were you excited about the signing with Todd Bowles? And, uh, you know, what do you think that he'll bring to the franchise? I wasn't ex- – I, I was ex- – I was, it was like a, a – it was like a – how do you say it? It was like a love and hate type of feeling at the time because I'm a Rex Ryan fan. I always loved Rex Ryan and what he brought to the team, you know. Um, So when he was let go, I was sad for him. But on a bigger picture, I understood why it was important to clean house, easy clean house, you know. And I'm glad that Rex landed with the Buffalo Bills, you know. But as a bigger – on a bigger scale, the whole entire franchise needed a clean house, specifically Terry Bradway. Uh, leaving was a good move. So mm-hmm. so for me, bringing in a coach, whether it was defensive-minded or offensive-minded or however you call it, it was good. You know, we needed. Sometimes the ch- change is good, and that's what the Jets needed, and I think that's what every single fan of this franchise wanted to see, something different. You know, you got to switch it up. So, yeah, at this point, I'm very happy with where we're at. Are we in a rebuilding mode again? Yes, we are. Um, I'm just happy that we moved on from what we used to do in the past. We've changed the course. We've, we're doing something different. Woody Johnson is doing things differently this time. He's got different personnel in charge, you know, so I, I'm glad. I'm happy for it. So, and, and, and at the same time, I'm happy for Rex because I'm a fan of his. I'm glad that he landed on his feet. 
Okay, and with that said, uh, my next question is Quentin Coble. What are your feelings upon him, and how do you think we should move, you know, deal with him going forward as well? Well, I'm I'm on the same page as Demario Davis. You know, he's going to be Quentin Coble's is going to be better when you put him when you put when you put his hand in the ground and have him rush the passer. You know, don't try to make him something that he's not. You know, don't put him at. I know last year I think uh, Rex had him uh, <clears throat> at cornerback sometimes, disrupting uh, one of the wide receivers and all that. You know, I, I get I get the fact that you have to be. Uh, you have to be different, and you or you have to do. You have to be creative on defense and all that. But let's not get away from the, from what the players do. You know, if the player does this, stick to what is best for him. A B C. Let him do A B C. You know, let let the guys that do E F G better. Let let those guys do D F G. You know, that I'm a firm believer in, in that. So, at Quentin Cobos, hey, while we got him, let's put him. Let's put him in, in a position where he can succeed. Let's put him. In a, in a position where he 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 rushes the passer, you know that, that that's what he's best at. Put put his hand in the dirt and go after the quarterback, you know, and address whatever other need we need in the draft. Hey Henry, who does QRS? Who does I was just I was I was just I was working off your ABC references, but the the uh, the. The the last question I have for you is, and you mentioned it a little earlier, is, you know, Woody Johnson. You know, are you are you confident Woody Johnson's learned his lessons and he's gonna refrain from trying to make a headline move and do its best for the team? My my personal opinion on Woody is that he um, he's he, he's a he's a he's a, he's a he's a owner of a franchise, and what I the moves that he's made have have shown me I think that he wants to win. No owner wants a losing franchise, you know. So he's trying different things. You know, <laughs> he saw that that um, this guy John Insick wasn't doing doing the the correct thing, and he he changed it up. So I I can only as a fan I I can respect the fact that he's he's doing everything he can to switch things up in order to 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 get the right formula to win. You know, he may not know it, he may not know the formula, but at least he's trying. He, He's not sitting there, like, content with just being, you know, a franchise. So I I can respect that. So I'm 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 fine with Woody Johnson, and I like the moves that he made, specifically bringing in outside sources to uh, to hire the uh, the new GM and to hire the new coach. I mean, I gotta respect that. As a fan, I'm fine with it. You know, at least he's switching it up. He's not keeping it the same. He's got to have a lot of pressure, you know. This guy, he wants to he wants to be a winner, in my opinion. Who who does it? Who does? Who wants to be a, a franchise owner of a franchise that's losing? Nobody does. And who wants to be a fan of a franchise that's losing? Nobody does. <clears throat> so, at least he's trying, and that's my my thing, you know. Okay. With that said, uh, going into some of his some of Woody Johnson's moves to kind of you know, clean up our front offense and getting everything done. Everyone knows, as you know, our offense has struggled. <laughs> Marty Morningweg was, you know, his place <laughs> was questionable last year. Uh, we all know my frustrations, Tyson's frustrations, your frustrations as well uh, with Morningweg. Now we brought in Chan Gailey. How do you feel about Chan Gailey now being our offensive coordinator? Well, it's, it, he wasn't in football, I think, for like two years. He was yeah. like somewhere yeah. – 
farming or something or farming gold or something. I mean, I don't know what he was doing. The, the, the joke on Twitter was that that he was a farmer or something. I'm I'm not sure. Jets um, Jets Twitter is out of control, by the way. But um, I, I'm fine with it. If the if the coach if the coach is fine with it and the GM is fine with it, I I'm fine with it too. You know, um, I I like the fact that they gave um, the the main the, the most important position I think was the GM position. You know, and GM mm-hmm. feels comfortable with Todd Bowles and those two guys. If they're if they're comfortable with bringing in their own personnel, I'm fine with it. I mean, um, the offensive coordinator and all those guys, all the rest of the coaching staff, those are just pieces. But in my opinion, the GM is the most important piece, and I think we nailed it. You know, and I think Woody Woody hit a home run with that with that hire. <laughs> Henry, I got to give you credit, Max. We kind of threw you to the fire here, and you're answering question after question, and you're actually coming off probably better than both me and Joe. <laughs> hey, man, <laughs> this is protein shake, man. It's got some good quality shit in it. <laughs> hey, Henry, my 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 last my last question for you, other than other than Joe from Long Beach, who's your favorite caller of all time? Uh, caller, man, let me tell you something. Uh, Joe, Joe from Long Beach, definitely. Um, I enjoyed working behind the scenes. I really enjoyed when he called in because he was so passionate. You know, you can hear it in his voice when he was talking about uh, what's his name, uh, the uh, number eleven or the. Yeah. Oh man, Joe was like so passionate about him. I was like, man, this guy really <laughs> loves this guy, man. He, every 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 week he called in with something, man. Did you see that play? I was like, man, ah, man, that guy's awesome. Like I can really watch a game with him, and I could, I can, I can tell that me and him would be like, yeah, man, that guy's so. So I really enjoy his calls. Other callers, I mean, I, I like a lot of callers, man. Um, there's another caller uh, from Pennsylvania. I think him right now. Um, he used, he, she still works, I think, for Jet Nation Radio. Uh, not for Jet Nation. I forget his name, but he every time he calls in, he brings it to the house. Um, Hans always brings it to the house Every time he t- he calls It's something different He has his own perspective So, you know, the good thing about this show is that if We get the opportunity for people to speak their mind And we we listen to all the opinions and Which is great A guy that hasn't hasn't tweeted in a long time I'm Not tweeted, but called this in a long time That I really like when he calls is uh, J-Bone On Twitter is JSC905 um, he 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 also has a really good opinion. He sticks to his opinion, whether you like it or not. He gives you a strong opinion. Um, but those are some of my favorite callers. You know, I, I like them all. You know, I like when everybody calls in. But but those those, those guys stick to my Nick Nick Grant, Granada Jr. Yeah, he's um, good. He's real good. His his handle is Nick Granada Jr. That guy there, man. He. His Twitter profile, he, he looks like a party boy. He's chugging beers and stuff. But he really knows his team, man. That guy knows his team, like, from from left to right. There's a lot of knowledgeable fans that call this show. And it's surprising to me every time they call how, how much they know this team. They know the players. They know they know free agency. They know the cap numbers. They know more than – I don't know, man. They they sound like they're, they're capologists, uh, capologists, you know. They, they know their stuff, so – no, I, I agree, man. And you once again, Henry. You, we talk, we talk all the time, and you know, it's been it's been a wild and crazy ride 
from uh, Jet Nation Radio to here. And, you know, I appreciate everything you've done for this. You always help me out. And the whole vision of this show, and even us going forward, what we're going to do, you're always a part of it. So, you know, just on behalf of me, I definitely want to thank you. And, um, Joe, is there anything you want to share? Yeah, like I said, Henry, you are awesome. You're really an awesome person. I want to let everyone know Henry is literally the reason why I am on Twitter now because I was so anti-Twitter. He told me, listen, you need to get a Twitter today. Like, we need to be able to contact you and talk to you on Twitter. And I said, all right, I'm going to go ahead and get it done. And I got it done. So thank you again for that. And just thank you for everything that you've done for the show, man. You are awesome. And I, I really do appreciate you, bro. You're great. No doubt, man. I appreciate you coming on to uh, Twitter. I, I always knew, <clears throat> I always knew when when you came on, you were going to be a star, man. I was like, man, this guy, man, he, he's so passionate. I watch your videos on YouTube. Yeah. I'm like, dude, yeah. you need, need to get on. And me and Tyson, man, we're we're friends behind the scenes. We're always talking. And that's one of the first things I was like, let's get this guy back on, man. We need to jump on on Twitter. We we need to talk to this guy on the radio. Another guy that you know, one last guy that I wanted to mention when he calls his show is uh, Chris Capella. Yep. He uh his 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 uh hashtag is at C underscore Capella C A double P E double L A. Every time this guy calls, man, it's like you're talking to you know, this guy this guy just knows his stuff. You know, he's a fan like all of us and he knows his stuff. I really enjoy when he when he calls the radio the the, the show. So All right, that's, Henry. Uh, well, that's basically it's, what it's, you know. I, I appreciate you guys. Uh, I appreciate you guys bringing me on to talk a little bit. I'll chunk the rest of this uh, protein shake. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Henry. Well, you're definitely. We're definitely going to have you back. Hopefully, congratulations on your promotion and everything else. And you're always going to be a part of the show. But I just want to bring you on. And first of all, bust your chops because I know you're scared to talk to people. And second of all, just for both of us to get a chance to thank you. So, thanks again, man. Love you both, man. Thank you. All right, Joe. That was our good friend Henry. And you know, before we wrap things up, I want to make sure that we uh, we thank Joel Corey for calling in tonight. Um, definitely appreciate it. Definitely make sure you follow him on Twitter at Corey Joel. Um, also, I want to thank all the guys from the UK and from Ireland. We did a impromptu show on Saturday, and the feedback from it's been tremendous. So we want to thank all our listeners overseas that contributed, and they they're sending out blog posts and they're doing all kinds of things over there. So, you know, we'll do our best to tweet and retweet all their information. But uh, we're definitely thankful and appreciative of everybody's support. Yeah, absolutely. The UK fans are you guys are just. Crazy and awesome. I, my my mentions are going off like crazy. My notifications are going off like crazy, and I'm just trying to keep up. But I also wanted to thank everyone that listens to the show as well, and uh, you know, just everyone that supports. You guys are great. All right, Joe. Well, it's been a good show, and that's it. So we'll uh, we'll try it again next week, and hopefully, there's some new Jets news. Yeah, absolutely, man. Hopefully, let's chop that up. I'm ready to talk. <laughs> I'll talk to you next week, man. All right. See you. Talk to you next week. They stay there.